I'm Annie Berry, and I'm one of your Board of Women representatives here at MPC. Our scripture reading this morning is from 2 Samuel, chapter 23, verses 13 to 17, and it's on page 276 of your Pew Bibles. And three of the thirty chief men went down and came about harvest time to David at the cave of Abdullam, when a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim. David was then in the stronghold, and the garrisons of the Philistines was then at Bethlehem. And David said longingly, Oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. Then the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and carried and brought it to David. But he would not drink of it. He poured it out to the Lord and said, Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of the men who went at the risk of their lives? Therefore he would not drink it. These things the three mighty men did. This is the word of the Lord. Friends, good morning again. My name is James Forsyth, senior pastor here, and it's a privilege to be with you and to be able to open up God's word and learn from God together, uh, all who are gathered here in our sanctuary, down in our fellowship hall, and, and even online. And can we do a special shout out online this morning to Butch Hardman? Many of you know Butch Hardman and his wife, Peggy, uh, pastor here for many years, so faithfully amongst uh, us. And today is the, the 60th anniversary of his ordination into gospel ministry. Yeah. 60 years. Butch, I know you watch live stream. Um, I'm 11 years in. I have no idea how you did it, brother. 60 years, it's just incredible. We praise God for his faithfulness to you, but also for your faithfulness to us. And we think of you and and dear Peggy every day, praying for you guys. And uh, we love you. We really do. And now, though, we turn to God's word, to 2 Samuel chapter 7, as we finish up uh, or nearly finish up our series in the life of, of David. Jumping ahead to chapter 23 and verse 13, we'll look at verses 13 through 17 of this chapter. But let's uh, first bow our heads together in prayer. Father, as we reflect and remember, um, Butch and Peggy, we're, we're amazed by your faithfulness uh, to them and to, to us through them, your faithfulness to us, Lord, as, as a church uh, throughout, throughout our history. And, and Lord, as we gathered this week, we reflected upon uh, our hopes and dreams for what the future might hold, and we experienced together at our congregational meeting that spirit of friendship and energy and, and unity and joy that we know can only be explained by the presence of your spirit. And Lord, as you've been faithful to us in the past, and we trust you'll be faithful to us in the future, Lord, I pray that you would be faithful to us in these very moments, that there would be something about this time that's experienced as, as holy ground, where we bring all that we are to your word and find that you speak uh, words of life, words of hope, words of challenge, uh, words that our souls need, that we might more, know more of you and your love for us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Don't know if you saw this week that uh, T.O. Terrell Owens has announced that he won't attend his own induction ceremony to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Uh, knowing T.O., I'm sure he has his reasons, and I'm equally sure that I will not understand them uh, when, I, when I hear what they are. But you all know, you're all familiar with the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio, and it enshrines exceptional figures from, from the sport. Well, 2 Samuel chapter 23 is a wee bit like that. It's a wee bit like a hall of fame, enshrining not great heroes from pro football, but great heroes from David's army. If you read your way through 2 Samuel 23, you'll read about his, his mighty men and some of the amazing deeds that they did. It is a, a list that recognizes those warriors who were faithful to him. It's like an honor roll of men, mighty men, valiant kingdom warriors. This morning, we're going to look at one incident in the life of these mighty men, the incident that's recorded in verses 13 through 17. And as we do so, we'll see, see three things together. First, we're going to see a familiar problem. Secondly, a gospel solution. And then thirdly, a freeing application. Familiar problem, gospel solution, and a freeing application. Let's dive in together, looking first at the familiar problem. What's the problem? David, once again, finds himself thirsty in a cave. David, last week we saw, faced opposition from within his own family. Now his things have advanced. He's not just facing opposition from his own family, but from the Philistines as well. And so as we join the text, we once again find David living in the cave of Adullam. Now, let's not be anachronistic when we come to this text and think, you know, maybe back then living in a cave was a sweet deal, right? You know, like, uh, no, living in a cave was rubbish, just like it would be rubbish today, okay? This was not the height of kind of health and wealth living for King David. Remember, we saw how uh, he had built himself a fine home. That's what he was used to living in, this uh, fine cedar house. So now he finds himself living in a cave. And to make matters worse, his enemies, the Philistines, are everywhere. Look at verse 13. Verse 13, we read that one detachment of Philistines have blocked his escape route by camping in the valley of Rephaim. Then in verse 14, in a move that was no doubt designed to, to taunt David, perhaps even goad him even into leaving this, this stronghold that he is now at, another garrison of Philistines have set themselves up in Bethlehem. Why is that significant? Because that's David's hometown. They're stepping on his toes. They've put the knife in, they're, they're twisting it. They are going to where he himself grew up. And because of this, living in a cave, no escape route, enemies in his hometown, verse 15, we see that David, he's heartsick. Look at what he says. He says longingly, oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. Oh, that someone would bring me a drink from my hometown. Now, it's important for us to, to understand as we move into this passage that the issue here for David isn't physical thirst. He's, he's not complaining just because he's, he's thirsty. They would never have set up a stronghold, their headquarters in a region where they didn't have access to water. And we know from studies today that the cave of Adullam is nearby many springs that would have kept him and his men perfectly hydrated. The issue isn't physical thirst. David is expressing a thirst that's much deeper 
than that. Look for the thirst below the thirst. It's a, a wistful reminiscence when he says, oh, that I could have water from my hometown, where he's saying, um, the world is not as it should be. All is not well with my soul. God promised me that I'd be king and that my descendants after me would, would rule this land. And yet here I am living in a cave surrounded by enemies. I can't get out and my hometown is even full of them. Oh, that life were different. Oh, that I could get a drink from my hometown. Oh, that life would be what I wanted it to be. Oh, that it were well, well with my soul. Here's the problem. David finds himself thirsty, living in a cave. Now, I call that the familiar problem because this problem, feeling that life is not working out as planned, that you're not sure what God is up to, finding yourself longing for more because it's not well with your soul, that problem is is familiar to most of us. It's certainly one I'm familiar with. Perhaps you're familiar with it too. When you're working your way through life and it's just not going as planned. Um, you're longing for, for, for more. And, and in the midst of it all, you really don't know what, what, God is, what God is up to. Yeah, on the outside, you may be able to be going through the motions, but deep down, it's not, it's not well with your soul. Perhaps for our college students, you didn't get into the college you hoped for, or you're back from the past academic year, and college just really hasn't been what you, what you hoped it would be. Or perhaps it's in your, in your job. Uh, you're working away in an environment that's just full of constant stress. It doesn't pay you the resources you'd like to get, and you really see no end in sight. Perhaps it's not well with your soul um, in your relationships. Maybe uh, you, you thought you'd found the one, and then you, you broke up. Or maybe you thought you'd married the one, and now marriage just isn't going well. It's not well in the soul of your marriage. You know, statistically, the seven-year itch, is actually a thing, right? Uh, statistically, people divorce at, at three, three times. They divorce in year one, they divorce in year seven, and they divorce in year 21, right? Now, year one is explained by you get married and you realize, who on earth have I married? What have I done? I've made a terrible mistake, right? Year 21, guess why? It's the kind of empty nest syndrome. Uh, you've lived your whole life primarily based around what your kids are doing, and you turn around when they leave home and realize that you don't really know, know each other. But the seven-year one is an interesting one. The seven-year itch is the, is the itch of being thirsty in a cave. You've been married for a while. It started to work out, but it's just not been what you hoped it would be. You had these hopes and dreams about mar- what marriage w- would look like, and even with this person, what, what marriage would look like, but it's just, it's, it's just disappointed you. It's not been what you hoped. You find yourself longing for more, and so people get divorced. Or perhaps it's not well, not because of college or job or relationships, but maybe it's physical health, right? Uh, Physical health issues that have you tired or empty, mental health issues that have you feeling isolated or alone. Somewhere in your life that's the thirst beneath the thirst. The place in your life that you would identify and say, you know, it's not well with my soul. It's not well with my soul. Do, Do you have that place in your life just now? Can you identify where where those places have been, where life's not going as planned, you don't know what God's up to, you're longing for more, it's not well with your soul. Do you find find yourself there this morning? Did you wake up this morning thirsty in a cave? If you did, 
It's okay. It's okay, and we can be honest about those places. The Bible is honest about those places, and God has more to say. So let's go on to our second point. After the familiar problem comes the gospel solution. The gospel solution. And what's the gospel solution to being thirsty in a cave? Well, it's for mighty men to bring you some water. Look at verse 16. The tale is told with um, quite striking and surprising brevity. Then the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and carried and brought it to David. These guys are heroes. They are, they are warriors and off they went to war. They, first of all, they, they overhear David's longings. They overhear his sighs. There's no indication in the text that David commanded them to go. There's no indication in the text that he kind of dared them to go. Hey, if you guys are really mighty, you know, well, I wish I had some water, right? There's no indication that he did, he did anything other than sigh to himself about, about this longing. And yet they overhear and go of their own initiative. They take the initiative to serve. And then what do they do? Well, they have to cut through enemy lines. They have to cut through the Philistines who were blocking their path at Rephaim. And then when they get to Bethlehem, they have to cut through some more in order to get to the well. This would have been a drawn out, hard, physical, bloody battle. Once they get there, they draw water from the well and immediately turn around and take it back to David. At the risk of their own lives, now they have it. Water from Bethlehem. Now understand that in the same way that David's issue isn't really one of a physical thirst, so the symbolism here isn't just about, about physical thirst. What, what these men are, are doing is they're saying, David, remember, remember that all is not yet lost, uh, that God's still up to something, that there's still hope. Yeah, we find ourselves in these circumstances right now, but don't, don't think that we're done yet. All isn't lost. God hasn't given up. There's still Hope. Now, one of the things that's fascinating as you read this text is, um, is as I said, the, the brevity with which it's told. This whole adventure, this whole dramatic scene is told to us in just one verse. Now, friends, if we were telling this story, we would make like a multi-million dollar full-length feature film. And we would have, you know, dramatic music, and we'd have eerie lighting, and we'd have swords flashing, and Philistines dying, and slow motion close-ups, and it would be like, you know, like some dude with a sweet, deep voice would narrate the trailer for us, and it would just be a very, it would be epic, yeah? And yet, instead of an epic, we get a verse. Does it strike you how sparse that is? It's like me saying, oh, have you seen Dunkirk? It's about some guys in a boat who bring back some soldiers. And you're like, well, sort of, right? But there's like a lot more to it than that, yeah? Why is the Bible so sparse on, on details? Well, friends, it goes back to something that we've highlighted again and again throughout the series. Again and again throughout the series, whenever we meet a hero, what do we find? That all our heroes are failures. That all of our heroes are failures. And Christianity, the gospel, doesn't try and dress up men and women to be better than they are. It presents them to us with their flaws and with their warts and all. All of our heroes are failures, and so we are only ever told about heroes in order to point us to the hero. 
The scriptures aren't primarily about the great things men have done for God. They're about the great things God has done for men. And so it is here. Again, the focus isn't to be on these mighty men, but is to be upon the mighty man, Jesus Christ, who assures us, who assures me and you as we're thirsty in the cave, that all is not lost, that God hasn't given up, that there's still hope, that there's still hope when we find ourselves thirsting in our caves, when we understand the thirst beneath our thirst, that desire that all would be well, that thirst can only be quenched when we come to Jesus, who is the true mighty man. Like the mighty man, Jesus overhears your sighs. He hears them. He hears the longing of your hearts. He knows where you feel it is, is not well and he cares. And like the mighty man, he takes the initiative to do something about it. Demonstrated most powerfully of all in him taking the initiative to come to earth. What's he doing? Like the, like the mighty man, he is coming behind enemy lines in order to satisfy the longings of our souls. But Jesus is also unlike the mighty man. Why? Because they only risk their blood. Jesus sheds his blood. They can only bring water from Bethlehem. Jesus is the living water from Bethlehem. It's not just the hometown of David. It's the hometown of Christ. And water from his well is the only water that can well up to eternal life. As we come to Jesus, see him on the cross as the one who quenches our thirst by hanging there and saying, I thirst. This is the the gospel promise, that if you draw near to Christ, if you receive the grace that he offers, then you will know that all is well. That ultimate thirst beneath the thirst, that longing beneath the longing. And and it's a challenge, isn't it? Because um, for most of us, most of us, when we find ourselves thirsty in the cave, we tend to look to other things, not Jesus. What do I mean by that? I mean, when life's not working out as planned, when we're not sure what God is up to, when we find ourselves longing for more, we tend to look to other things to quench our thirst. So we numb the disappointment of college with parties or alcohol or porn. Or we attack the challenges of our job with drive and hard work and determination. Or we lament the challenges in our relationships through depression or just denial or distraction. Or we approach our health issues with a combination of of research and fear and desperation. And the problem is that none of these things will ever quench that ultimate thirst to know that it's going to be okay. To know that it can be well with your soul. Just think about it. Physical thirst, if you're physically thirsty, will never be quenched by porn, alcohol, research, or hard work. And your spiritual thirst never will be either. Your spiritual thirst never will be either. We need to understand the longings beneath our longings, the thirst beneath our thirst, that desire we have to know that all will be well, that it is okay with our souls, that we are loved and we can only do that when we come to Christ. The living water who satisfies our souls, the mighty man who assures us all isn't lost. God hasn't given up on you yet. There's still hope. Understand, I'm not saying that makes everything perfect. You might still be in the cave. College, job, relationships, health. 
It's not that everything becomes perfect, but that we're able to navigate these things with a sense of purpose, a sense of joy, a sense even of hope. Takes us to our third, final point. Familiar problem, gospel solution, and finally, a freeing application. If this is true, if if Jesus is the one who alone can can quench our ultimate thirsts. What what do we do in light of that? Well, let's look look, look at David. The freeing application. What does David do? He pours this water out. Now, knowing all that it took to get this water, don't you think this ending is a little bizarre? Right? Verse 16, look at it. But David wouldn't drink the water. He poured it out to the Lord. Can you imagine, like, these mighty men, like, looking at each other, like... You know, like one of them's got a sword covered in blood, right? The other one's there, kind of all tired. 25-mile round-trip journey they've taken on foot. They're all tired and haggard and beaten down, and they, you know, present the water to David, and he just takes it, and they think, ah, he's going to drink it. And then instead, he just pours it on the ground, and it makes a little puddle, and then just disappears forever, right? They're kind of like, dude. Would they have been offended by this? Would they have been insulted by this? No is the answer. Why? Verse 17 explains. Let's look at what David's doing here. Why does David pour it out? Well, we read, he poured it out to the Lord and said, far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this, that I should drink the water. Shall I drink the blood of the men who went at the risk of their lives? See what David's saying? He's saying, this gift is so precious that I'm not worthy to drink it. I'm pouring it out, not because to me it's trash, but because it's treasure. To me, this, this water is like the blood of the men who went to get it. That's how valuable it is. And so I'm unworthy. I'm going to pour it out to the only one who is worthy of it. And so that's what he does. He pours out a drink offering to the Lord, a kind of offering that was common in the Old Testament times. He's not pouring it out in waste. He's pouring it out in worship. Perhaps we see a parallel in the New Testament when the unnamed woman comes to Jesus and she pours all of that perfume upon him and others grumble and say, oh, isn't this a waste? Think of how much we could have sold that, that perfume for, blah, 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 blah. And the answer is, no, of course not. Of course this isn't wasteful. It's a lavish act of, of worship. That's what David is doing here. Because his deep thirst has been quenched, because he has been reminded through his men that all is not lost, that God hasn't given up on them, that there's still hope. Because his deep thirst has been quenched, he is now free to pour out this blessing to God. Here's the application. Blessings don't quench your thirst. Only Jesus Christ quenches your thirst. And if your blessings don't quench your thirst, then you are free to pour them out for God. Some practical examples. If everything you long for is already yours in Christ, then we don't need to hoard our blessings. We can pour them out for God. So God blesses you with money. And you say, you know, there was a time in my life where I looked to money to make things okay, to make things well with my soul, to give me that sense of security or stability or perhaps importance that I felt like I needed in life. But now that Christ has really come and quenched that thirst, I'm not looking to money to do that for me anymore. So now it's just an offering that I can pour out before the Lord. Are your gifts and, and your abilities, 
You're able to say, okay, God gave me these gifts and abilities, and you know what? One time in my life, I looked to them to give me a sense of meaning, purpose, intelligibility. I wanted to achieve things, and as I achieved things, that, that gave me the sense that that would somehow, somehow quench my thirst. But now I realize it just doesn't get it done. That every, you know, rung up the ladder I get, there's another rung, another rung yet. I mean, even if I get to the top, I'm still, I'm still not satisfied. These gifts, these abilities don't have the ability to quench my thirst. Only Jesus can do that. And because I'm not looking to do that myself anymore, I'm free to pour these gifts out for the Lord. Or my reputation. One more, my reputation. Um, you used to maybe think that, you know, um, it was, your, your reputation was really important to you. You wanted to be somebody, to be seen as somebody to achieve and be successful and be viewed a certain way by people. And you thought that would quench the thirst in your soul, that, that things would, then be, things would well, then be well, that things would be okay. And now you realize, oh, reputation can't do that for you. The only thing that can quench my deep thirst is Christ. And so I'm happy to pour out my reputation by pointing other people toward the Lord. You see, when we're not holding on to blessings in order to do something that they were never intended to do, we're able to pour them back out before the Lord. The Apostle Paul got this. He said, 2 Timothy 4 verse 6, I am already being poured out as a drink offering. He had everything he longed for in Christ, and so he was free to pour out his life in worship. David got this, Paul got this, and I just wonder how much you and I get this. How easy do you find it to give of your money, your resources, your reputation? If that's really hard for you, is it because you're looking for them to give you something that that they'll never be able to give you? How difficult do you find it to trust the Lord with your college, with job, with relationships, with with health? Is it because you're, you're seeking to quench those thirsts with something other than Christ, with something that will never be able to satisfy it? The only way our thir- thirst can be quenched is when we come to Christ. He alone can assure us that all is not lost, that he hasn't given up on us yet, that there's still hope. No matter what happens in this life, even death, there's still hope. So that when we get things from God, we're happy to pour them out for God. The problem, familiar, we're thirsty in a cave. The solution, a mighty man who brings us water. The application, pour his blessings back out for God. You and I um, may never, likely will never, make it into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Okay, I'm pretty sure there's not a single Scot in there, right? <laughs> And yet by having our deepest thirst satisfied by Christ and responding with a joyful life where we pour all that we are out for him, we can still make his list of mighty women, his list of mighty men. Let's pray together. Father, the problem of our deep thirst to know that life matters, to know that there's significance to it, to know that in the end we'll be okay. Isn't so much rebuked by your word, but is fulfilled by your son, 
who comes and says, yes, you have value enough for me to die on a cross. You have uh, purpose enough to be used by me. You have um, security enough to know that all is well, not just here in time, but for eternity as well. And what a, what a free in gospel that is, Lord, that enables us to uh, respond by pouring out all that we are for you. <laughs> Father, it's so good that your word doesn't come and say, be like the mighty men. Your word comes and says, you have a mighty man. When we grasp that, when we realize that, a beautiful twist at the end is that this grace starts to transform us into the image of your son, that we do become mighty men and mighty women. So Lord, hold this gospel before us. Would it be our hope? We ask in the name of your son Christ. Amen.